I'm Pastor Daniel Morris, and you're listening to Sharing the Bread of Life, a podcast by St. Timothy's Lutheran Church in Skokie, Illinois. Whether you're a first-time listener or a regular subscriber, I pray that Christ feeds you from the stories and testimony you'll hear today. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. May the Lord fill you with every good thing, and may you have enough left over to share. I read from Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals, and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a scrub in the desert, and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness, and the uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. They shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, they will not be anxious, and does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is pervious. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart, to give all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. A rare and somewhat unique letter from George Washington was recently put up for sale. It has been part of the Rab collection for many years and is valued at $140,000. The majority of this letter is not noteworthy unless you're into early American agriculture. However, Washington's closing statement is attracting national media attention. In it, Washington seems to acknowledge God's divine care for Americans and for our government. This one tiny sentence overshadows every other paragraph in the letter, suggesting that this letter is more than a simple page of history from an influential founder. It seems this letter also has the power to assure a shrinking minority that God is on their side. It seems that this letter has the power to confirm an anxious nation in a Christian identity. George Washington's offhand closing remark seems to take on religious authority as concrete proof that the United States will enjoy blessing, life, and victory so long as our government continues to trust in God. Washington was writing to Richard Peters, who was the Speaker of the Lower House in Pennsylvania in 1788. The Constitution, which favored a stronger federal government, had recently been adopted. Meanwhile, a group of anti-federalists was working hard to overturn it. Washington and Peters, both of whom favored a stronger central government, were legitimately concerned about the survival of the newly adopted Constitution. It was in this spirit that Washington concludes his letter to Peters, saying, 
that providence which has hitherto smiled on the honest endeavors of the well-meaning part of this people, the people of this country, will not, I trust, withdraw its support from them at this time of crisis. It is readily apparent from this letter that Washington associates success with God's blessing. Yet it's worth re-examining what journalists are suggesting is Washington's declaration of faith. Washington's statement reads more like a declaration of confidence in his righteous cause than a declaration of faith in God. Notice that God's action is passive. It's hardly even an action at all. The corners of God's mouth are the only thing that God lifts. Meanwhile, God's right hand remains hidden from view, a hand which came to Israel's aid countless times, and at which the risen Christ now sits in glory. Then there are the works that God smiles on, the honest endeavors of the well-meaning part of the people of this country. Washington seems to feel that God takes honesty and good intentions into account when judging human works. He also seems to feel that the anti-federalist work of his political opponents is devious and not well-meaning, a sentiment that I'm sure no one in this room is familiar with. Altogether, Washington's statement says little more than this. Our cause is righteous. Our people have good intentions, and God is on our side. Such faith does not rely on God. It relies on us, on our honesty and our integrity in pursuit of a righteous cause. There's just one problem with faith like this. We are limited, rational beings who have a talent for justifying just about anything if it suits our interests. Authoritative prophets like Jeremiah recognize that even the most honest of people, with the best of intentions, will act in their own interests when those interests are threatened. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse, which I believe translates better as the heart is deceitful, Above all else, it is incurable. We tend to interpret our own intentions in the best possible light. And we often perceive the common good through our own interests. According to Jeremiah, a society like this does thrive. But it thrives as a shrub in a desert climate. Heat and drought do not overwhelm the self-reliant shrub. The shrub generally has a very shallow but very extensive root system that snatches up water before it can evaporate in the heat of the day. Its green, scaly leaves maintain tight control over water loss. And the fruit on this kind of shrub tends to be very small and is often not good for eating. Self-reliant communities like the desert shrub thrive because of their competitive, tight-fisted nature. 
They may believe their survival is a righteous cause. And they may intend to do their citizens well. However, in the end, they choke out the the life around them, focusing only on their own survival. While such communities may survive and even flourish, Jeremiah pronounces God's curse on their life. Jeremiah offers up a second image for life together rooted in God. The image of a tree growing by a stream. It has an endless supply of water and life that it shares abundantly. Fruits grow large and are good to eat. While the soft leaves clothe the tree in splendor, providing ample shade. The stream itself creates an oasis for all who suffer in the harsh desert climate. While the tree along its banks is instrumental in providing food, shelter, and other basic necessities in life. The community that trusts God is like such a tree who does not fear when the heat comes, and it is not anxious in droughts. Though life may at times be harsh and difficult, such a community remains secure in the life that flows abundantly from the stream. While such communities may believe that works of mercy are are a righteous cause, and while they may intend good for those who are vulnerable to the desert heat, they still have nothing to boast of. Without the gracious and undeserved gift of the life-giving water flowing past its roots, this community would be no better off than the desert shrub. Jeremiah pronounces God's blessing on such a fortunate tree. So that we might enjoy God's blessing eternally, apart from fortune, Christ was born among us to accomplish the work that our untrustworthy hearts could not. He trusted his Father in heaven, even when such trust meant suffering death on a tree as one under God's curse. He was raised to new life, and he has become the trunk of our community, eternally rooted by the river of God, no matter what challenges we face in life. Or what things we suffer. We rest securely in the life that flows abundantly and unreservedly through him. And we, the branches, receive every kind of blessing imaginable. So that our lives bear fruits of mercy, which in turn bless the world. Fruits of mercy are so desperately needed in our world today. Many, including a a number of high-ranking government officials, still echo George Washington's statement of faith, saying, Our cause is righteous, our people have good intentions, and God is on our side. Yet no one can claim God for their side. The moment we do, we have become a proud desert shrub, attempting to draw a river of life from the salty, arid ground of mortal flesh. The smile of providence is meaningless next to the passion of the cross. It has not been given to us to know anything except Christ crucified 
and the fruits of mercy resulting from his gracious blessing. In Christ, we have truly found an oasis in the desert. He refreshes us with his blessing at every resurrection dawn. The fruit of his mercy is a sign for all who are suffering in this harsh climate that the oasis is real. With confidence, we invite them to the tree where the fruit is unending and to the river where we ourselves have been refreshed. In the end, the power of one little sentence at the end of George Washington's letter to Peters is limited. Any reassurance it provides is only as permanent as mortal flesh and as trustworthy as the incurably deceitful human heart. Let us instead be assured by the good news of Jesus Christ, who died and who was raised again and who sits at the saving right hand of God. He comes with waters of blessing and fruits of mercy in hand. It is yours to enjoy, and it is yours to share. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Sharing the Bread of Life. For more information on the mission and ministries of St. Timothy's Lutheran Church, please visit our website at www.sttimothyskokie.org or like us on Facebook. Check back next week for a new episode. The blessing of Almighty God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and always.